0: Welcome back, everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas. We're welcoming back to our program Dr. Sharon Chatcook Lee. She's the EFT trainer and founder of the EFT Center in Portland, Oregon. And she's also specializes in community building. And she's done another episode with us on this show, which was fabulous as well. So make sure you check that out. And she's joining us today to talk about how to keep our focus in session and EFT. So thank you so much, Sharon, for being back with us today.
1: Oh, thank you, Annabelle, for having me. It's always fun. And it's a reason I can tell my kids I'm a YouTube star.
0: (laughs) Right? Isn't that so cool? We got to stay relevant, right?
1: I'm doing my best. It's not easy, but I try.
0: Right. It's all about YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about keeping our focus. And I think even from
1: my own
0: experience, one of the ways that therapists might lose focus if they never really identified their focus going into the session. And so if you don't define your focus, it's hard to find your focus or keep your focus. So, yeah. you know, you say, how could we kind of go into the session instead of stumbling around with the fight of the week or an attachment mm-hmm. popped up? How do we filter that into identifying a focus for the session? And why mm-hmm. is that important to identify? Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, there's so much to say about this, I think. And it's something that most of us as therapists in our training we're not trained in, like where to have our focus or what to focus on or even the concept of, being in charge of the session is not something I was trained in and certainly not something my attachment style really was easy for me. It wasn't easy for me to figure out how to be in charge of sessions. So I think like to throw out just the low hanging fruit as a place, like if you're out there thinking, I just wish my sessions were a little more focused, the easiest thing, the the place to start, I think, is at the very beginning of the session Mm -hmm. and what What I would encourage you to do is have some kind of a summary of the cycle that what you understand your latest greatest understanding of what the dynamic is, and just to start there. And I keep mine pretty simple. I'm looking for a piece of paper that I I usually have a bunch of cycle summaries sitting around, but I just clean my desk. But I'll tell you my simple cycle summaries, I start off with a diagram that looks like this. It's just an iceberg in my this is my beautiful artwork. That's an iceberg. And the line, (laughs) this is just a very simple cycle summary. So on the top of the line, I'll write reactivity Mm -hmm. on the top. And on the bottom of the line, I'll write vulnerability. So then when I sit down to look at a couple, I'll say, okay, the reactivity is anger. But underneath that, there's hurt. And on the other side, there's um, defensiveness. But under that, there's, you know, not getting it right or whatever my latest, greatest understanding is so that when the couple comes in, I can say, hey, you guys. I'm wondering if there's anything super important that happened this week that you really need me to know about. In my mind, the category is house burned down, someone died, like that kind of thing. Otherwise let's just try to pick up where we were. And Nine times out of 10 couples want me to pick up where I was. They don't want to have to dredge up a fight or bring in some kind of content. They've been over and over and over that stuff. They don't want to talk about it again.
0: Or unless they've been, saving up all week and we, we really need to talk about this. And so I think, you know, what you're saying is important because therapists can kind of get stuck going down that rabbit hole of content. And I love summary that you talk about reactivity and vulnerability and, you know, really being able to say, so let's say you, you tell me if this would feel like a good example. So maybe the, you know, the couple comes in and they'll say, I, you know, we had this fight of the week. It was really big. It was really bad. And we say, okay, so from what we left off with last week, what we kind of, what you helped me understand about your cycle is that, you know, this partner, you might, when you start to get this signal that you're not wanted or your partner's not available, you might start to get angry And even though you might be feeling afraid or scared underneath, you might get angry and you might start to poke, you know, or attack and your partner starts to feel like I'm not getting it right. And they might start to withdraw. And so let's see if we can, could we say something like, let's see how this most recent fight you guys got in falls into that. that." Yeah,
1: that would be a way. Yeah. I think that's one way. And then another way is have you been able to repair it or make sense of it together? Because there's always the, the postmortem of the fight that is another kind of skill we want couples to have, to be able to look back at the fight and say, oh, there's the cycle, now I can see it.
0: Yeah. So, I- right there. I just want to hold you in that place, because that's really important. What you're saying is, have they been able to repair and, and basically um, share a narrative about the story, about the distress, because... Oftentimes what you'll see is couples will repair, but it's kind of just on the surface. I don't want to fight. You know, I love you so much. Let's just not fight. And they don't actually like repair what, whatever it was that they were fighting about. And then it shows up another day because they've not been able to get on the same page of really seeing and understanding each other. Yeah.
1: Oh. Absolutely. And it takes all of stage one really to get to that point where couples have a shared understanding yeah. Of what the pattern is. That's what stage one's really about is like really getting what the dynamic is and
0: yeah. really having
1: that shared understanding of this is how I'm impacting you and this is how you're impacting me.
0: Yes, that shared narrative I'm finding is so <laughs> important. And, and those of you who are fans of George Fowler, you know, he talks about coco, that co regulating emotion and co creating meaning. This is that co-creating meaning that we're talking about. And often when you can do that, you can also co-regulate emotions together, helping each other with their pain, whereas usually they get stuck not being able to do that. But it sounds like that piece is so pivotal in helping couples, is helping them have a shared narration of of an understanding they created together about what the distress was about. Right. And even if they're
1: coming in trying to make their point, that's, the, that's their dynamic, right? Even there, we can help them have the shared understanding of what's going on just by catching that as like, this is how they're showing up in the therapy. They're both trying to make their case with me. I can just yeah. say that. I can just say, hey, you guys, I notice you bring in a new set of data every week that you're trying to persuade me. Who's more right or who's more... You know, trying harder, or who's working harder in therapy, or who's more messed up, like whatever it is for them. I, I think what's important is in those first few minutes, we get used to kind of grabbing onto either something cycle related or something present moment.
0: Yeah. In yeah. my
1: own sessions, I try to be working in the present moment within the first 10
0: minutes of the session. And how do therapists move from content to present moment in those cases?
1: That's one of my favorite questions right now, because I have this magical, it's my magical question, and the word is how. So people bring you any kind of content. If you come back to them with a how question, you can get out of content and into process. So um, let's say my parent died this week, and um, that's what everything has been about. Now, if you aren't focused on the relational dynamic, you could spend a whole session talking about what happened at the funeral and well, the family dynamics. And it could be really important, but it's not quite the same as if we start off with, well, how have you guys been able to come together about that? Or how did you let your partner know when your grief was coming up? Or how have you been coping with those feelings? Yeah. The how is I, the how are you letting each other know and how are you coping? I, I think of those as my magical route out of content
0: and into process. That's so important that you say that, and there's so much, <laughs> sometimes it feels like a magic trick. <laughs> yeah. You started here and we ended up here, and that was so deep. You know. I think also by understanding how this plays out in their present process of their relationship will really help you understand, in an even deeper way, their relational dynamics, like You know, let's just say, for example, like I had a client who, you know, they're dealing with their daughter, their daughter going off to college, you know, and so it's been very stressful because their child's special needs and, you know, so this new territory. And so I asked, how have you been coping that with that stress? And, you know, the client said, oh, I go outside and I breathe and I do all this stuff. And and I asked, do you ever go to your partner and share the stress? Because, you know, you're both the parents, right? Right, right this together, but I find it so interesting that you guys separately cope with this and there's not a, a togetherness in this stress. And, you know, it helped me understand part of that client's um, attachment dynamics where they are uh, were never taught to look for a partner, to look out towards others for help, for comfort and soothing. They were taught you manage on your own, you go by right. yourself. And as I unraveled this and unpacked it in session, you know, the partner actually, the other partner shared, actually went to a really deep place and picked some, was able to touch sadness that they never realized how important it was to provide that safe haven because they didn't have that safe haven, you know. And it's from daughter going off to college, right? That's awesome.
1: All with the magical how question.
0: Yes. Yes. How do we cope? Yeah. And staying present process, right? Not how mm-hmm. did you come back here, <laughs> you know, right, right. In dynamics, your present stressors. And, you know, either if you're not coming together, you know, how are you coping with this? And then you'll find out that they're not coming together. Or do they get caught, you know, like in, in your, in some of the things you just said, too, maybe they get caught up trying to get each other to see their pain and their distress in the moment and they get stuck because they're not able to enlist their partner's support or right. love in the moments they need it.
1: Right, absolutely. There's so many ways to get stuck on the way there. And one of the things I love about the how do you cope or who do you turn to or how do you let your partner know is we're also bringing in our model of change when we do that, we're, we're making it really clear what we believe helps people, what we know helps people, is coming together and being vulnerable. That's what it boils down to. That's what our whole model kind of boils down to, is that when we can feel our feelings in the moment and share them in a vulnerable way with an important other, that we're healthier, more balanced, more connected, safer. So that's just what we believe in. And it helps people, I think, so many of us weren't raised with that as our model of being, like you're saying with your clients, that it doesn't occur to people, but if we come in every time, like how do you cope? How do you turn to each other? How do you let each other know? We're sort of teaching them, but in an experiential way that this is how we do it. This is how we heal. This is how we stay close. This is how we find love. Yeah, um, I like that.
0: And I love, I love how you say it, teaching them in an experiential way, because we say experience is the best teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So true, so we want them to experience that in the moment. And you know, what kind of comes to my mind as you talk about this is sometimes it really brings up how important it is outside of session or going into your session to prepare to remember where you are. Because if you go in and you get something that's like view of self, but you're in stage one, you're not necessarily gonna go to it at the depth and height that you would in stage two. So being able to understand how you're supposed to work with the pieces that come up, depending mm-hmm. who you are in the process and also understanding how to put that into the tango and defining your, you know, okay, we're working in steps two, three, and four as we go into the session. So maybe they're going to throw a fight at me. Maybe they're going to say things were good, whatever they're going to throw at me. I'm going to try to see how that fits in here. And that can be really helpful, but the other way I find is somehow without being able to really like put their stake in the ground to say this is what we're going to focus on. That sometimes even when they have this general idea, okay, we're mapping the cycle. Like maybe it's too broad, right? We're working on the cycle, and I'm going to try to do an act, and then mm-hmm. they're trying to elicit primary emotions, and they get lost down this rabbit hole. And they go so deeply that they forget their focus. And they're like, okay, I've got the emotion. What do I do with it now? Right, right. right. The client has de- employed so many um, defensive maneuvers that I forgot what it was I was even working on.
1: <laughs> and right.
0: it, I'm like bringing whatever was happening back to what it was that we were working on. Right. So, strategies or tips for how to keep your focus in those situations.
1: Yeah, I think, the, I think the tango is really key for me in that. And the way I think about that is like in stage one, I'm focused on the cycle. My sessions are about the cycle, the dynamic. And I take one tango at a time and focus the tango on one thing. And I use my move one to find the thing I'm going to focus on. So that's, I think the move one is really key to being focused. It's really key to understanding the cycle And I think so many EFTers are so focused on move two because we're heartfelt people who we're kind of vulnerability junkies. And so we just want more and more and more, but I really think the move one is the key to the whole thing. And part of, part of that is I'm using playing with this concept of the, the target working zone, the TWZ. I'm wondering if that little acronym is going to take off sort of trying to get it to take off. The TWZ, we're working for the the people in my community. We're talking about the TWZ. So the TWZ is something that's relational, uh, attachment focused, and present moment and vulnerable. So I'm looking in my move one to move. They're bringing me all kinds of stuff, content, and they're in a fight or whatever it is. And my job is to get a clear understanding of what the, the process is that focuses on something relational and vulnerable and present moment.
0: I can see a wrench coming at the therapist (laughs) or client brings something that they believe is not relational. Like, Oh, I have stress with my family. That's not going away. You know, like my extended family and my partner, my spouse can't do anything about that. So why do I need to talk about it with them? Hmm. Right. Oh shoot. Like, what do I do with that? It's not relational or they're trying to not make it relational.
1: (laughs) Well, it's back to the how question, right? It's like, how do you cope when when you're struggling with your family? How do you let your partner know that you're struggling with that? Mm-hmm. And then we're back to process. We're back and are to- you
0: in a in a vulnerable kind of way, because I and this is another way that I think therapists get trapped is because clients will say, oh yeah, I, I tell my partner about that, but it's really not in a very personal kind of way. It's more of like a venting. And, you know, I once heard a trainer say that venting is not vulnerable.
1: Right. It's not. It's kind of a one-way street. I'm just puking it up sort of (laughs) without even, I don't think people really process sometimes when they're venting, they're just getting it out, but they're not feeling.
0: Yeah. And they're not connecting it back to why it's so painful for them. Something deeply personal, (laughs) you know, and that's so important. And, something else you said that was really important about coming back to the tango. And I think maybe this is a place where people get lost when they're trying to, when they are doing move two and they're trying to get emotion is that maybe they haven't understood the purpose of the tango and understood all of the tango. Cause if you understand the whole tango, when you get that primary emotion, you're going to know what to do with it. Cause that's your, yeah, through, that's which exactly. the The whole purpose of enactments is to start getting the couple sharing new emotional signals, right? So you get some new piece of emotion or emotion that's communicated differently because it has new meaning.
1: You want them to share it. Absolutely. But in the beginning, in stage one, we're mostly doing process work. We're doing process work and then touching down into primary emotion and and sharing it and then back to process work. But really, most of the work in stage one is in the, in the process focus where we're looking at how they're impacting each other. Just because of what you said in the, be- what's that?
0: Sharing that emotion is part of that, right? Like usually, yeah. you know, I get angry and that's what you see, but underneath I'm really sad and I struggle to share that sadness or something, you know, it's-, it's Right. Funny. So like you said, whether you're in move one or move two, or stage one or stage two, you know, where you are on the, the tango, just understanding the function of the tango. So whenever you're at each piece and you feel like you have fully completed that piece and carved it out, you're going to understand what you're supposed to do with that piece,
1: yep. which will
0: about the tango.
1: Just keep going, just keep tangoing. But it sh- should be whatever you're moving through the tango with, it should be the piece you got in move one. So no. if the move one, if my move one led me to, I know you just see my anger, but underneath there's all this hurt. Then that's what my whole tango is about. And in move one, I'm making that clear. And then in move two, I'm deepening the hurt a little bit to help them feel into it, to make it more present. And then in move three, I'm sharing it, having them share it and then processing that and then stepping back from it. Yeah. But, yeah. but I'm not going to, I'm going to try to, I'm pretty invested in finishing my tango because that's part of the focus that you're talking about, right? And it's and also because that's how we get corrective experience is by going all the way through the, all the moves of the tango so that it's integrated. So I'm p- pretty invested in it. Once I've got a stake in the ground, if they get reactive, I'll go with the reactivity to try to make sense of I'll go back to move 1. But the focus I think is about once the tank, once it's clear what my move one is That's my focal point for that full tango until I get all the way through
0: Yeah, and I'm wondering would it be helpful for therapists if whether they're Maybe doing a cycle map on their lap on you know to kind of Maybe write down a word or a move or something that helps them Like if, if they're still kind of new and learning how to carve out their focus would it help them maybe to write it down like in session, just something real quick. So then even if they get lost, they can just look back down and say, okay, that's where I was going.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, I still do that. If you could dig around in my office, you'd find tons of pieces of paper with, you know, like 10 phrases on it that I've tracked in a session and that's exactly right. I think don't be a, don't be afraid to go back, whatever the last Moment you felt oriented and you knew what you were tangoing, you can just say, I don't care if it was 50 minutes ago, it's fine. Just go back to wherever you knew what was going on. You say, Hey guys, I'm sorry, I just need to go back.
0: Yeah.
1: Earlier you were talking about X. Can we go back to that, please? Yes.
0: Yes. I,
1: I do that all the time.
0: Yeah. That's so helpful because I think sometimes. We can get afraid to say that, to say I'm lost or, you know, I, I need to get clear. I think, you know, I was asking for this and I just noticed that as I tried to lean close and understand this, it, I felt like maybe I didn't fully get it. I actually had this with a client the other day where I said, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling unclear about how you felt about this. I feel like I've, I've really tried to lean in and understand your emotions in this place And I think I just got a lot more explanations that you're really good at explaining this from an intellectual place. Really? And they're like, Oh, well, I I did feel rejected or abandoned and I thought I made that clear. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I missed that. I totally did not get that. And they said, Oh, well, Yes, that's good to hear. Because if you didn't get it, and I thought it was clear, then there's a good chance my partner is missing it too. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so good for us to be able to say when we feel lost, especially I think when you've been doing it a little bit longer. I think yeah. when you start off in EFT, it's scary to say, "I feel lost," because I I know for me, I felt lost a lot, and it felt like it reflected my inadequacy. I wasn't very good at the model. I wasn't a good eft tier And it's a lot easier. I think, you know, you're a supervisor and it's easier for me. When I say I'm lost, people are like, oh, wow, that's diagnostic in a way, right? Because I'm tracking things pretty carefully. But back in the day, <laughs> it was much harder to say I'm lost or I'm overwhelmed. So yeah. I just, I hope that validates that for people out there that that zone, you know, gets easier and easier to find. Every time you find it, it just gets a little easier to find. And yeah. so it's, it's still okay to say, I feel lost and, and to go back to whenever you felt oriented. Everybody feels lost in these sessions. They're, we're managing a lot of material. So yeah. be it's gentle.
0: Special. When you are first learning the tango, your first kind of how the steps and stages guide you, you're kind of you know, front loading your own cognitive functions of, okay, how, how is this in the tango or, you know, it's when you kind of iron that stuff in and you don't have to think about it, it becomes more of like your flow and a natural rhythm in EFT. And then it kind of frees up that mental space to more clearly focus on your, you know, clearly identify your focus without having to think so much about those and i think too you know you you mentioned something that that brought something important up too is that i think therapists have this expectation that if they set up an enactment and it and it gets reactive that somehow that means they did something wrong and they've never really learned that sometimes it's because they're doing something right
1: absolutely right?
0: always gonna go smoothly and and when the cycle comes alive that means you're destabilizing a system which we want to destabilize the negative cycle you know yeah telling you a lot of information And, and I've told some of my supervisees when where there's smoke there's fire basically when you get a lot of reactivity there's pain that's gold yeah
1: get in there yeah that's why I'm kind of right now I'm having a love affair with move four because I just, because of exactly what you're saying. Move four is where we've, we've, we've made the process really clear and then we've deepened some emotion and now we've handed it over so we've made it relational. So the most likely thing that it will happen next is the cycle will come alive. And I think that's where it can really, I'm just kind of letting move four be more a place that I'm, experimenting and playing more and doing lots of enactments back and forth because I feel like that's where it's really alive and if we think of like we're going to do this perfect enactment in our in our tango and then we're going to have that love moment that we all dream of and everything's going to be happily ever after then we can be very disappointed when the cycle comes alive and then blame ourselves when really this is what we're looking for we're looking for the cycle to be alive so we can dig in and yeah. it really make sense of the present process.
0: And there's a lot of, you know, like what you're saying is there's a lot of nuance in artistry kind of to doing this. And everybody will have their own flow, their own adaptive language, you know, for working in the cycle. But you know, when you have your when you have your focus clearly established, it's easier to not go to this you know, because there's there could be multiple right ways to deal with something, oh, and having yeah. this, you know, your focus is gonna help um, inform what you choose to do when it comes up, right? And you have you do have to lean in and attune to where the clients are, and sometimes blocks come up, and you know that that's also a way that therapists can get stuck, losing their focus, right? But And maybe it felt like a different kind of block or a a familiar block that presented in a different way. And it just kind of throws you for a loop. And then you're like, Oh, what do I do with this? Like, I I don't even know what to do with this. And it can be hard. You know, I kind of like that idea of maybe writing down, you know, a little phrase or a little, you know, word or, you know, just to help you identify your focus. So even when you get thrown with wrenches and arrows and, you know, Mm error it can help you go back to okay what do I do with this as it comes up and that can probably help us resource to where we're not going into our own shame like oh this means I'm bad I'm a terrible therapist I didn't do it right I'm not Sue Johnson I'm not doing my session the way Sue Johnson would be doing it
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know it's part of how we think about blocks is um, people like like George and Jim Furrow and um, Lisa Palmer Olson and Debbie Samaka they say, I've heard many times, you know, it's client's job to throw blocks. That's that's what they do. And it's important that they do that. And we can't take that personally. That's absolutely what's supposed to happen. And all we have to do in those moments that a block comes up is get curious and stay in that present moment. Something important's just happened. You know so staying focused like if i'm working a tango and i've got my stake in the ground around something and then a block comes up let's say in move 4 for me that i want to understand how all that fits together so i haven't let go of my stake i'm still still working that same tango but now i'm going to i'm understanding it deeper because it's alive whatever the block is is now alive and all we have to do like have simple phrases in your pocket for moments like that, like, wow, something just happened. Wow, okay, can we slow this down? I'm not sure I understand what just happened. Can we really, I just wanna get curious about this. Well, that that was a reaction I didn't expect. Let me understand what's happening right now. I mean, it all boils down to what's happening right now, as it's not a very fancy move, but it sure does it's my most common one, I would say.
0: Yeah. And I think some therapists kind of get stuck with, I think in the past, the go-to solution for those used to be put it back in the model and that started becoming its own or put it back in the cycle and it started coming becoming its own cliche in itself that didn't feel very helpful for a therapist. And they're thinking, okay, I already have it in the cycle, but there's something coming up. So I think... Part of it is is there's got to be a lot of study outside of session two as to understanding blocks and being able to strategize and identify when I'm on this move and a block comes up or when I'm doing this move and a block comes up and just sort of orienting yourself with um, maybe procedure in some way, <laughs> right? Mm. On focus, not like linear per se, but just understanding when... When something pulls you out of the focus or interrupts the the plan, you know, you gotta know what the the procedure is to deal with that. And part of it is understanding what you're dealing with, what you're facing in that moment. Right. Find, right, if I'm asking for primary emotion and my client is backing away, you know, then that's telling you that there's some discomfort around identifying emotions or maybe a lack of um, language around emotions or whatever you know or mm-hmm. if you're or and they're hearing their partner's pain for the first time and they start to get really reactive you know so mm-hmm. being able to understand what it is that you see in that moment i think is so important but hard
1: yeah hard. it is hard i think it i just tell people when in doubt back to move one if you thought you were doing move two and you're not making any progress, it means you aren't done with move one. You don't have a clear process. And if the person's batting away all of my attempts to deepen, then we have to talk about that. I know that here's what I'm noticing again, present process. But in my mind, I'm back in move one. Yeah. And I don't leave move one until we're all on a shared understanding of what we're doing. Yeah, And then I don't get a lot of resistance along the way because we're all on the same page about what the dynamic is and what we're working on.
0: Yeah. And, and what you're saying is so important that it's okay to go back to move one. You know, the, the tango doesn't necessarily have, it's not a linear dance per se, but you have the direct, almost like one of those circle dances where you might take a few steps back and then a few steps forward, a few steps back, but you are eventually going to come full circle But it's okay to be able to go back to move one, especially if you find that you're getting stuck, that that can be your focus is to just be able to, okay, let's hit pause here for a second and kind of understand what we see is happening right here in front of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really think move one can be your refuge. When in doubt, go back to move one. Um, When something, big happens and you don't know what else to do with it, back to move one. What's happening right now? And there's no, because process is move one's just process. And we're, if we don't know what's going on, then we have to start with process, right? We can't dig into move two unless we know what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I think part of that identifying your focus in the beginning and putting it down is when you do start to get stuck and you need to go back to move one, you can make it a little more explicit as to You know, right here, as I tried to lean in and understand some of your emotions, you know, I noticed this happened, right? So really identifying this was the thing I was after, the thing I was looking for, the thing we were exploring together, and something came up and got in the way. So you're really helping that clear all the way through.
1: Mm -hmm. And in very reactive cases, I'm thinking about a super reactive couple I saw for a live where My move one took me like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. just because every time, you know, I'd be like, okay, here's what's happening and start to move into move two. They'd flare up again and I'd, okay, all right. And I'd have to keep meeting there and bringing them back so that they, I mean, I think that's part of the co-regulation of it is like them getting that I'm with them and that I really get the escalation that I can keep making sense of it kind of calms the nervous system And then they flare up again. Do you really get it? Do you really see my part? And just keep doing that. So I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. I think that was really good work. I think that's important work. And I wouldn't want to dig into any primary emotion until they really get that anyway. So.
0: And it felt so validating for you to say that sometimes you had to spend 45 minutes on move one because I think I've heard some EFT therapists say that if they, that they worry that they're spending (laughs) certain move and so you know if they they start getting self-conscious about it and then thinking they're focusing on the wrong thing instead of maybe maybe you're actually on the right thing and it's super complex for the couple and they're really yeah
1: yeah the only time I would say it's if you're spending too much time on move two you might want to think about shifting your focus to move one just because
0: Right. Sometimes, especially the newbie ones are like, I spent like most of the session on move one. Was that wrong? Like I I feel like I should have been able to do a whole tango and I'm not doing a whole tango and it was only move one and I did the wrong thing. Maybe I'm focusing on the wrong thing. (laughs) Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I told you, I think I said this in the the other webinar that we did, but that I, when I first started trying to use the tango in my Mm -hmm. sessions, I just tried to do one, two, and Mm 3 Because I couldn't hold the whole thing. It was just too complicated and new for me. And I did that for a while. I just practiced one, two, and three. So if there's anybody out there feeling like it's too much, mm-hmm. I mean, if all you do is move one, they're, under, they're getting an understanding of their process. Great. Yeah. That's a solid foundation to do any kind of anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's really important too, because sometimes it can be a lot to hold. You know, Again, front-loading ourselves cognitively with trying to hold all the moves and not really able to be and understand and fully delve into the move that you're supposed to be, that you're are on. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, just helping them. And I've, I've guided super, my supervisor helped me with this. And so I've helped some of my supervisees as well It's like, if you're not clear on what move one feels like, and just make that your focus for all of your stage one couples right now. Just go in and make sure that you're hammering out move one, that you're solid on it. You feel like your clients are solid and work on that. And then when you feel solid, work on getting a solid move two. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll all come from there. It'll all come yeah. from having that solid foundation of what is the dynamic and working with the present process. And there's so much to understand about working with present process. Uh, I would just take your time and really study that.
0: Yeah. And that's so helpful. You know, even as they move into different stages, you know, just watching all of you guys in your videos so wonderfully are able to Mm -hmm. say, even if you're doing a live, you're going to, you know, kind of listen for feel out for what's going on. And then you're going to carve it into a very clear and explicit focus, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this better and help you guys walk away today understanding this or Mm -hmm. help you guys you know this is where we've been working and so let's see if we can continue right here in this spot you
1: know Mm -hmm. absolutely
0: yeah and it's good to I think by making it very clear and explicit it also gives the couple a very clear understanding of this is what we're working on today right
1: yeah, and maybe that's, a, you're reminding me of another aspect of staying focused is and working with the present process, making things explicit. Is I do a lot of transparent treatment planning, that's what I call it, with my couples, where I just tell them what I'm thinking and where mm-hmm. I'm headed. You know, I'll I'll do my cycle summary at the beginning and then I'll say, so I'm thinking it'd be helpful for us to work right here. You know, we've heard last time we were more focused on you, so maybe I want to understand more about what goes on for you under that anger or under that running away or whatever so that they know just what I'm thinking. Or if I run up against a block, I'm like, Oh, it sounds like we've run up against a block. Like I just let them see me and hear my process. And I think that helps them feel safer. Like there's, they don't have to guess about what I think or where I'm going. So then when I say something about me or I use myself more, They feel like they can trust it because they hear me talking about myself. They know me a little bit and what I, how I process things.
0: Yeah. And they also feel like it's kind of this little tangible nugget that they're giving you and they're like, okay, we still have a plan and here's what we're doing. It kind of organizes their experience. And I think it's helpful too, even as you move from one stage to the other, you know, to be able to see it. It feels like you guys are really starting to understand your cycle. It feels like you are starting to interrupt that at home. So, you know, maybe we are ready to start exploring stage two and moving into stage two.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do that too. And then I tell them that you may notice this work is a little different. I'm more focused with one person. And I'll say, because the end game, our end game is that you can reach for each other when you need each other. And then when I tell them that, then they they're engaged in the treatment planning with me. So Mm -hmm. then when I say like, they'll I don't get as much that question, are we done or we think we're done because they know the end game is they can reach for each other vulnerably. And they know they're not able to do it yet.
0: Vulnerably is the key word. I've had so many clients who say, Oh, yeah, I can reach for my partner, the ones that have like a positive relationship, but they're really missing that depth because they reach for each other intellectually and they may talk about business or yeah, my family's being annoying and that's just what I'm dealing with, you know, but they're just not being vulnerable and they're not opening Mm -hmm. their And a lot of clients don't even know what vulnerability is.
1: Absolutely. That's where I think, again, it comes down to simple things about we have to feel our feelings you know are you sharing your feelings are you talking about what you're feeling on the inside and those kind of simple phrases and ways of talking about it i think help clarify that kind of thing we're often a pursuer is often pretty comfortable like i'll tell you what i need you to do or i'll tell you what the problem is or i'll tell you what i need you to fix but we're not so great about you know here's what's on the inside
0: and oftentimes you'll hear withdrawers say well What good is sharing my feelings with my partner? They can't fix this problem at my job or this problem with my family. And so you're going to have to remind them, maybe your partner can't fix your stuff at your job. Maybe they can't fix the stuff with your family. But if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling um, deflated, if you're maybe not feeling solid about yourself, your partner can absolutely be a resource for you for that and help you Mm -hmm. with it.
1: Right, we can say, that I love the moment when we've done enough work with withdrawers that we can finally, when I can see the ways that they're alone, and I can say that to them. I, I think that's such an important moment for withdrawers, because initially they start off like, I'm just managing my partner's emotions, right? So what's the problem? I'm managing them just fine. And they don't even know there's a feeling inside that they have to manage all by themselves, so i think that's another route to the same thing you're talking about is like when you have troubles at work or when you have this stress or this strain you just how do you manage that it's back to the how question and how do you how do you cope with that and what would it be like if you didn't have to do that alone yeah yeah that's a big big question for them yeah
0: so this is really great i that you guys got a lot out of defining our focus of our discussion today and some tips and strategies as to how to help yourself and maybe enlist your supervisor, or your mentor to help you work on defining your focus and collaborating with your couples or your individual client on defining your focus in sessions, so you're all on the same page about what to work on. So, Sharon, if folks want to attend a training by you, if they want to do a consultation with you, invite you to their area, how do they find you? Do you have a website? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our community
1: website is pceft.com, the Portland Center for EFT. And um, also my own site is Lee, com. Um, you can reach me through both of those sites. I'm doing... I do externships and core skills in Portland and in surrounding areas, and I do also tango workshops. And I'm working on EFit for the fall. I might do an EFit workshop, and I also do trainings for supervisors. So I'm yeah. doing right now a, a tango study group with a group of supervisors, and
0: that's pretty fun. Which is, um, so. I've watched the videos. I've been in some of that, and it is amazing, guys. By far the best supervisor training I've seen.
1: Oh, thank you. That's sweet. I'm having fun just exploring the different places. So, and I I've thought a lot about self-therapist trainings too. I might do something like that in the next year.
0: And Um, hope to be able to put together like a webinar training for you guys for community leaders. Sharon does tremendous work around community building And I know for some of you guys in remote areas or smaller towns, who are leading your communities, trying to lead your communities, or you're in leadership roles. You know, you're really just trying to struggle with how do we do this thing? How do we grow a community? What are, you know, what's recommended out of, you know, we just need help. So Sharon's definitely a fabulous resource for that. And hopefully we're going to be able to talk her into getting something put together for all of you guys to attend. So make sure that you, bookmark Sharon's page, her webpage and her website um, so that you can stay tuned for that. And I will definitely put a link to her website in her um, email on the description for this video on YouTube. And we are now a podcast on um, iTunes. So you can look for that as well. We Heart Therapy. Thank you again, Sharon, just for really being with us today and, and sharing with us some of your tremendous wisdom.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always fun.
0: You're welcome. And thank you so much viewers. Make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way.